Hey, welcome. Particularly if you are visiting, which I know uh, many of you are. We typically don't pick, point out visitors, but there's a baptism going on today. So uh, a number of you are visiting today. Thanks for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Um, every church, whether they tell you or not, they typically have goals. Like they want to baptize a certain number of people in a year. Uh, so if our goal was four, I think we hit it. You know, so... <laughs> But wait till after service. Make sure they don't run out on us. Um, but after the, our service and then third reform service, there is going to be a combined picnic right out here on the lawn. So if you want to burn time, uh, there is Benjamin Rush Park is a nice park you can walk around in. Or if you didn't bring your dessert or chips, uh, Target's not very far, and you can go grab a snack there to bring with you. We're in a series in Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 2 today, verse 11 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or if there's Bibles in the pews, you can use those as well. If you would like a Bible and you don't have one, as you walk out, there's a bunch of free resources on our info table, one of which is a Bible. There's black Bibles there. Take that with you. We want you to have a Bible of your own. My sermon today is called Your Functional Gospel, and I thought that was really interesting. This week I was in uh, my home meeting, so even the pastor benefits from the home meetings. Uh, that, and somebody referred to what's happening here with Peter and Paul as a functional gospel, and I thought, that's it. That's a great sermon title. I'm going to steal that. So thank you for the person who brought that up in our home meeting. I stole that. But this is all about a functional gospel. What's your functional gospel? Like, What's the thing that you see as good news that drives your actions, that, that motivates you? What's the thing that's like deep in, de- in the depths of your heart that make you do certain things, the things that you think would earn your place with God, earn your place with others? So you may believe in the gospel, right, the true gospel in Jesus Christ, that he lived the life you should have lived and died the death you deserve to die and rose again from the dead. And that, as we said last week, that his death and resurrection, the only thing you need to make God happy with you is not what you do, is what Jesus has done for you. That's what makes God happy with you. But do you live like that's true? Do you live like the only thing that's going to make God happy is what Jesus does, not necessarily what I do? There are other actions, there are other things that motivate you to do what you do. Is there another gospel that's functioning in your life? Is there another gospel that takes over your thoughts or your actions or your attitudes? And like we talked about last week, is Galatians is like a gospel bomb that's dropped on us. That should touch every area of our lives. Like a bomb hits the ground and, all, and, and, and explodes and the dust just hits everything around it. That's how the gospel is designed to hit us, hit our hearts, and this hits everything about us. All of our actions, all of our motives, and our thoughts, our attitudes, our postures toward the world. Everything is motivated and changed by the gospel. And what we talked about last week is Galatians is not written to non-Christians. It's written to Christians. So too many times and too often in churches, we think that the gospel is something for non-Christians. But Paul shows us in Galatians that Christians need it just as much as non-Christians do. But what's your functional gospel? What's your gospel in practice? In your day-to-day life, do your actions show that you truly believe the gospel? And what Paul shows us through this story about Peter in Galatians chapter 2 is that the litmus test for your functional gospel is how you treat others. 
particularly those who aren't like you. If you want to know that the true gospel is working in your life, it's captivated your heart, it's changing all of your actions, it, you will be able to see that based on how you treat others. So maybe you're a non-Christian here today, you're, you're a skeptic, or you're just seeking and trying to find Jesus and trying to figure out all this stuff about Jesus, and you're like, I like this guy, Jesus, I've heard about him, let me just check him out. And your experience with Christians is that they don't act very much like Jesus, that their functional gospel doesn't reflect that they believe the gospel. But if we believe the true gospel, that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you deserve to die and rose again from the dead, we'll treat others, even those who aren't like us, the way we'd want to be treated. And this will bring us true freedom to our lives and to our world. But if anything else works its way in, if anything else captures our hearts, if anything else uh, motivates us, and we latch onto this other gospel, we will treat those who aren't like us as people to avoid, as people to keep our distance from, and maybe even hate those people. So I want to talk about today, that how we treat others who aren't like us reveals if we truly believe the gospel or not. How you treat others, how I treat others, reveals whether or not I believe the gospel. So we must be aligned with the gospel, we must see our need for the gospel, and we must live our lives in the gospel. So aligned with the gospel, see our need for the gospel, and live our lives in the gospel. So first, we must be aligned with the gospel. So let's jump in chapter 2, verse 11. Paul's talking, he says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Right? So Cephas, who is Peter... It's, another, it's one of Peter's other names. Peter, before these men came from James, he's eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, these Jewish Christians, acted hypo hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, son of encouragement, even Barnabas is led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Last week we said the only thing that we need to make God happy with us is to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And it's Jesus' work that makes God happy with us. God is not happy with you because of the things that you do for him. He's happy with you because of what Jesus has done for you. You are righteous, justified as Paul talks about. Not because you have done something, but because somebody has done something for you. And that's the gospel. But in Galatians, Paul's addressing certain agitators who've made their way into the Gentile Galatian church. And they're adding things on top of the gospel. So it's no longer Jesus plus nothing equals everything, as we talked about. But it's Jesus plus Jewish dietary and ceremonial laws equals everything. 
And these agitators claim that Paul's gospel, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, was something he made up. Yeah, uh, Paul's right, absolutely. You have to believe in Jesus, but we're Jewish people and we've been around for a really long time and we have the law. And I can tell you that that's not enough. So Paul spends this time defending himself, saying the gospel is not something I made up. He spends the second half of chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2 just to point out that this gospel was not given to me by human authority, but by Jesus himself. And he's so confident in this gospel that he's willing to address and challenge Peter. Like Peter, Jesus' right-hand man. He's one of the three. Peter, James, and John is with Jesus everything. Saw Jesus transfigured. Saw Jesus crucified. Saw Jesus rose from the dead. These, this is like Jesus' crew, and one of them is Peter. And Paul is so confident that his gospel has been given by Jesus that he's willing and brave enough and courageous enough to challenge the apostle Peter. The one Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys to the church. He's so confident that Jesus lived the life you should have lived, died the death you deserved to die, and rose again from the dead. And that means Jesus plus everything equals nothing. Sorry, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That he's willing to challenge Peter. See, in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter, he's sitting around and he receives a vision from God. And the, a sheet comes down from heaven. There's all these unclean foods on it. And Acts 10, 13 to 15 says, And there came a voice to him. This is God speaking. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I'm a Jew. We don't eat that stuff. We don't eat bacon. There's like a vision of like sizzling bacon coming down on a pan. And, and Peter's like, I don't eat that stuff. I'm a Jew. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. <laughs> See, up to this point, the gospel has essentially been preached to the Jewish people. And, but at, but Paul, Peter ends up at Cornelius' house after this vision. If you, if you have a church background, you might remember the story. He ends up at Cornelius' house, and Cornelius is a Gentile. And he, Peter preaches the gospel to them, and he watches the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles, and they start speaking in tongues. And the Jewish believers there, they're all amazed. And this event is reported to the entire church. And it's widely celebrated that Gentiles are welcomed into the family of God. And the Gentiles who have been considered unclean by the Jewish people are now considered clean because of what Jesus did for them. They don't need to do anything. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow the Jewish dietary and ceremonial laws. All they need to do is believe in Jesus and God accepts them into his family because Jesus died for them. But fast forward to Galatians chapter 2. Peter comes to Antioch and he hangs out with the Gentiles. And Antioch was a very diverse city. Jews and Gentiles, they hung out all the time. And Peter's now eating bacon, right? He's sizzling up some bacon. He's eating it. He's hanging out. He's having a great uh, Saturday morning brunch because he goes to church on Sunday. He doesn't go to Sunday morning brunch, so he goes on Saturday. And he's hanging out with them. Why? 
Because he's considered clean by the blood of Jesus, and so are they. He, a Jew, and they, Gentiles, are equal in God's eyes. And he's living a life aligned with the gospel. Until, until some of his Jewish buddies show up, these men from James. We don't know why they're there. They might, they're probably not checking up on Peter, making sure he's keeping kosher. They're probably just there to check on the church, make sure it's doing okay. So Peter, a Jewish Christian, when what he does oftentimes, as boisterous and outwardly courageous Peter can show himself to be, he cowardly, inwardly cowardly withdraws from hanging out with the Gentile Christians, and he stops eating with them. One of my favorite sitcoms of all time is How I Met Your Mother, and there's a term that's been used in How I Met Your Mother called revertigo. Revertigo is, uh, is a name for the phenomenon for when you're around people from your past, you unintentionally start behaving like them again. So, like, maybe you went to college and you spoke proper grammar, right? But when your friends from the block come to visit you, you start speaking slang again. You start using the word John all the time. That Italian ice stuff that you, you, everybody gets in college, you start calling it water ice again. So you're saying John, and you're saying water, and water ice. And Peter has experienced the same type of revertigo, but not unintentionally, but intentionally. He's cowardly reverting back to his old ways of living before Acts chapter 10. He starts living like Acts chapter 10 didn't even happen. He no longer lives like a Gentile, but like a Jew. And his old friends from the block, they see him hanging out with his new college buddies. And Peter cowardly denies his relationship with his new friends. He had made the claim that his new friends were fine just the way they were because of the blood of Jesus. But now, his homies show up. And if his new friends are going to hang out with Peter, they need to be like his buddies from the block. They got to eat the same foods. They have to listen to the same music. They have to get matching tattoos. They have to do all the same stuff in order to be accepted. So what does Paul do? He confronts Peter. Why? See, Paul's saying, Peter, you yourself saw a vision that Gentiles weren't unclean, but clean because of the blood of Jesus. You yourself saw the Holy Spirit fall on them. You yourself know that we, Jew and Gentile, are now one family in Christ. You were at the Jerusalem Council where they said that the Gentiles are clean in Acts 15. You know that we've been talking about, like I've talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, that God has broken down the wall of hostility. You know all that, Peter. But now your actions reveal that you don't believe the gospel at all. Your functional gospel is one where Jew and Gentile are separated, where Gentiles need to become like Jews to be accepted by God. Your functional gospel is one where Jesus' blood is not enough. Your functional gospel in the way you treat others reveals that you don't believe the gospel, Peter. And now you're out of step with the gospel. 
you need to come back in line with the gospel. You need to realign yourself where Jew and Gentile have been made clean, made, made one, where the wall of hostility has been knocked down because of the blood of Jesus. See, Tim Keller talks about this, and he says this gospel truth has a vast number of implications for all of life. It's our job to bring everything in our lives in line with the thrust or direction of the gospel. We are to think about its implications in every area of our lives and seek to bring our own thinking, feeling, and behavior in line with the gospel. Christian living, he says, is therefore a continual realignment process. One of bringing everything in line with the truth of the gospel. What Tim Keller is saying is saying everything you do, if you're a follower of Jesus, constantly needs to be mirrored up to the gospel. Everything you do should be realigned. When the tires are out of whack, you realign them. When the colors on your computer screen are out of whack, you calibrate it. Paul's saying you got to do the same thing every time. That's, Paul's challenging Peter to do the same thing. Saying, Peter, you need to be realigned to the gospel. And for us, in order to make sure we don't have, make the same mistake as Peter, we also need to realign ourselves with the gospel. Because if Peter, the apostle Peter, can get out of line with the gospel, you better sure as heck we will as well. I don't know your experiences, but I doubt you're hanging out with Jesus. I don't know your experiences, but I doubt you saw the resurrected Jesus in the flesh and touched the wounds on his hands and the wound on his side. But Peter did, and he made the mistake. So we need to make sure we don't make that mistake either. But where do we begin? Like if Peter failed, there's still, I'm definitely going to fail. So we have to see our need for the gospel. That's the first step. So look at Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 19. We ourselves as Jews are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know, this is the key verse of all of Galatians, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law... No one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are bound, found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The first step to align your functional gospel with the real one is to admit that you need the real one. Here, Paul's not directly addressing Peter anymore. He's indirectly addressing him for our benefit, for the Galatians' benefit. He's addressing Peter's mistake. But what's Peter's mistake? Peter's simply, the old church term for it, has fallen into legalism. When Paul uses the word justified, it means that, that people have been made clean in the eyes of God because of Jesus. They've been put in the right They've been approved by God. They've been accepted by him. God is happy with them. And the thing 
need it to be happy, for God to be happy with you, simply put your faith in Jesus. But Peter's actions towards those who are unlike him reveal that he doesn't really believe the gospel is true. He's attempting to make himself clean before God. He's attempting to make God happy with him. And so by his actions, by withdrawing from the Gentiles, he's saying Gentiles need to do something on top of what Jesus did for them to make themselves clean. He's pulling back to make himself clean, and by doing so, he's saying you need to make yourselves clean. It's not Jesus' blood wasn't enough. You need to do this too. His functional gospel is building walls that God has already torn down. And we should never rebuild walls God has torn down. God tore down the walls. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ, which is good news, I think, for most of you. As I said before, I imagine that most of you are Gentiles like me, non-Jews. God tore down those walls. Jew and Gentile don't need to be separated anymore. But Peter takes the bricks and he starts rebuilding the wall. That's why Paul talks about being a transgressor for rebuilding. Peter's functional gospel reveals that he believes his nationality is superior to theirs. Because he doesn't need to become like Gentiles. They need to become like him, a Jew. His functional gospel is saying, my race, my nationality is superior to your race and your nationality. See, racism and nationalism, as Peter is falling into here, are simply other forms of legalism. They're saying certain people are in and certain people are out. And the blood of Jesus doesn't matter. See, when we say God is happier with these people simply based on their color of their skin or the nation they were born in, We've betrayed the gospel. When I say because of the color of my skin or the nation that I was born in, I am therefore superior to everybody else, I've betrayed the gospel. And we see from Peter, it's less about what we say and more about what we do. Our actions reveal whether or not the gospel is something we truly believe in. But anything we hold to, to convince ourselves that we're superior to others, is legalism. It's not the gospel at all. Anything you hold to, anything you believe puts you on a higher platform or better footing in God's eyes or even in your own eyes or in the eyes of others is simply a form of legalism. You're saying implicitly that what Jesus did was not enough. I need to do this and God will see me as clean. I need to do this, and God will be happy with me. Or because I was born in this country, or I'm part of this ethnicity, God is happier with me, or he'll bless me more, or he'll give me greater purpose than others. And see, what we like to do then is to create categories for people, those who are in and those who are out. And conveniently, those who are in are always the people who are just like us. You ever notice that? The people you say are part of the in crowd are the people that look just like you. Those who have the same skin color or background or nationality or culture, they're in. Those who parent like us, 
they're in. Those who are in similar life stages, they're in. Those who work hard like me, they're in. Or maybe we say those who've experienced pain or difficulty like me, they're part of the in crowd. They're in. But if you had a pretty easy life, sorry. Those who are concerned about Christian holiness like us, they're in. Those who vote the same way as me, they're in. So we rebuild walls that Christ has torn down, even in the church. That skin color, those nations, they won't be able to worship here. They're out. Because they don't look like me. Those parents who parent that way, their kids will just end up disrupting our home meeting. So they're out. Like, we can't have them just, like, be one of those free-flowing parents where their kids are just running around in their underwear and licking the walls. Like, if they come to home meeting, how are we going to talk about the stuff in home meeting? So they got to stay out. Or the people who haven't gotten married or never will be, they're not good enough. So they're out. And so what I need to do is find them a spouse so they'll finally be happy, and then they can be part of the in crowd now. Or that guy who's found a way that somehow this guy found this way to take off of work one day? He clearly doesn't work as hard as me. He's out. So I need to teach him to never take a day off just like me. Or if you didn't go through what I went through, so anything you say is stupid or naive, you're out. Or there are those liberated Christians who drink. Thank God I'm not one of those. We got to keep those guys out of our church because our church needs to be holy. Or how could he possibly vote for that guy? He's out. See, what happens is our gospel, our good news is one where we're superior, where we're always right, and those who aren't like us can't be. So we build walls. And you might be saying, like, well, I don't do that. Like, I'm not a racist. I accept everybody. But let me ask you, how often do you gravitate after church to talking to your friends rather than the people that you don't know very well or at all? What was the last time your gut response to a visitor was like, I want to get to know them? Or do you run off and talk to the people who are just like you? When was the last time you saw a person who looked different than you on Sunday morning and you decided that you wanted to make sure their Sunday morning they felt so welcomed and cared for? See, we let the functional gospel, this functional gospel of superiority enter into the church unchecked. And if they aren't like us, they need to be so they can fit in. So why do we do it? Why do we drift towards legalism? Why do we drift towards the attitude that we're superior? Why do we build walls and create categories? We do it because we're prideful. Our hearts are drawn to making our lives and the people around us like us. 
We're drawn to making our lives all about ourselves. And so when it comes to God's acceptance, we make it about ourselves again. So we surround ourselves with versions of us. And sometimes I think we do it because we're afraid. We're afraid of people who are different than us. We're afraid that if they're around, we might need to change. Why would I need to change? I'm right. And we're afraid that if we start welcoming people like that into our church, we won't be able to protect God's church. Like, i got to protect God's church from those people. Like, God needs me. God created me to protect his church from those people. And the only way we, out of our functional gospel, the functional gospel building walls and categories of legalism through and through is to realize our need for the gospel. Paul says the only way out of legalism is to realize that every Christian is a sinner who's been saved by God's grace. Jew and Gentile, he says, Peter, you should have known this, man. If you know the Old Testament like you're claiming you do, and those guys who pulled you out, and now you're hanging out with them, your, old, your, old, your college buddies are no longer good enough because now the guys from the block are around, and you're hanging out with the guys from the block. Peter, if you knew what the Old Testament said like you said you do, then you would know that we're in the same boat, that we're all sinners. We all need God's grace. We all can't accept, have God accept us by something we do. But Peter's not wrong that there's categories. There are two categories of people. And the two categories are simple. Sinners and Savior. You and I are sinners. Christ Jesus is the Savior and the only one. Legalism always compares sinners to sinners. I'm less sinful than that person. So we create this functional gospel of superiority. But the first step to breaking from a functional gospel of superiority is to admit my inferiority. It's to admit that you're inferior, that I'm inferior, but Jesus is superior. That you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and that we need a Savior. That's the first step out of this. So we must live our lives in the gospel. And Paul talks about this in Galatians 2, 20 to 21. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's only two, there's the only categories are sinners and the Savior. And he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's saying if, you, if God could accept us in any other way, Christ died for nothing. What was the point then? See, if my functional gospel is going to be aligned with the true gospel, what Jesus has done for me must have an active hold on my heart. See, Peter, see Paul doesn't go, just go after Peter's actions. He goes after Peter's heart. Because when your heart hasn't fully embraced the true gospel, we end up embracing a gospel of walls, a functional one of walls and categories of Jew and Gentile or in and out. 
But if your heart is truly captivated by what Jesus did, the only category you'll accept is sinners and Savior. And you'll treat Christians who aren't like you as well as you treat the ones who are. See, left to myself, I'll continue to build walls. And I'll create categories. But Jesus died on the cross for a bunch of people who were so unlike him in every way. He, the perfect one, died for imperfect ones. He, the clean one, died for the unclean ones. He, the wall breaker, died for the people who are trying to rebuild the wall. He, the category destroyer, died for the category creators. He, the truly superior one, made himself inferior to save those, you and me, who think we're superior. Until, unless you realize your need for the gospel, your functional gospel will continue to be out of whack. You'll treat those like you better than you treat those who are unlike you, and you'll nullify the grace of God. And it'll be like Christ died for no reason, no purpose. But when Christ's death is active in me, like Paul talks about, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And I realize how undeserving I am of his death on my behalf and how much he loved me and it's captivated my heart. I'll begin to live this out and I'll realize that those who aren't like me actually are just like me because they're sinners in need of God's grace too. And I won't build walls or categories and I won't see myself as superior. I'll go across lines to care for those who aren't like me, and I'll become friends with people I've never expected to be friends with, and I'll work to bring my boys from the block and my new college buddies together. And years from now, I'll be able to look back on my life, and I won't hold that up as a badge of pride of something I did. I'll be able to say, wow, isn't it amazing what Jesus has done for us? So how you treat others reveals the functional gospel in your life. What is your functional gospel? Is it aligned with the gospel of Jesus or is it aligned with something else entirely? And my challenge to you is let's be a church that's functionally aligned with the gospel by treating those who aren't like us the way Jesus treated us. If this is working in your life, if it's active in your life and Jesus actually captivated your heart and it has a hold on your heart, you'll start treating people the way Jesus treated you, no matter what they look like, no matter how they voted, no matter how they behaved. If their kids are running around licking the walls and running around their underwear, you'll love them anyway because, frankly, that's how Jesus sees us out-of-control infants. And when it starts to grab your heart, watch. Watch what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Watch what Jesus does in your life, how it changes you, how it changes those around you, and how it changes our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that by the blood of Jesus, you brought Jew and Gentile together and you called both clean. 
if you're here today, you don't, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're just checking Jesus out, and you, you've been kind of convicted about what I, what I said and challenged you on, and the way you're treating others, I just invite you to silently just give your life over to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I've been trying to make myself clean. I've been seeing myself as superior to others, as better than others. Forgive me. Help me to realize by the cross, because of the cross, I'm no better than anybody else. The only thing that makes me accepted is what you've done for me. And for the rest of us, Father, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we do ask, we do ask that you would help our functional gospels to be aligned with the real gospel. I pray we would treat others like we want to be treated, but more importantly, that we treat others the way Jesus treated us. And as we come to the table and we ask for forgiveness of our sins and come to the table, we do ask that you would remind us of that one more time, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.